Hello, welcome to the Sound Podcast of the Week. For more information on the Sound Movement and other resources, go to thesoundmovement.net. Hey, welcome everybody. Chris Burns here. Welcome to the Sound Podcast. This is episode three. And I want to let everyone know that we do have a new album coming out. Me and my wife have collaborated on this current record, and it is called The Dealer. And The Dealer will be available for pre-order from November the 10th through December 1st. And you can grab the album for just $5.99, which is half off the full price for those three weeks. And you can get two new tracks, and we're very excited about that. And, of course, the album drops fully on all music platforms from Spotify to Google Play, iTunes, Apple Music, and everywhere in between on December 1st. The album is called The Dealer. And we're really excited about it. This record is the most different thing we've done in a long time, and it's also the album that I think we're most excited about, uh, that we've been the most excited about for, for a long time because it's uh, not just songs of, of worship, but they're songs of, of uh, pain and joy and, and contemplation and uh, pain. And uh, I feel like they're probably more closely related to the Psalms uh, than they are to maybe some of the things we've done in the past with our live worship CDs. So if you are listening to this, I encourage you, uh, pause me right now, go to iTunes, go to Spotify, uh, go to your Apple Music, look up Chris Burns, The Dealer, and uh, you can take a listen to these songs we've been crafting for the last two years. My wife has three tracks on there. And so very exciting. As a matter of fact, I I think we're going to actually do a podcast uh, talking about the album and talking about some of the fun stories behind the songs and the fun stories about where they were written, how they were written, um, and, and, and the process of, of recording that. And I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be insightful for anybody who's out there, uh, who's new or maybe even experienced at, 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 uh, putting out albums and, and, and making records. And, and we'll, probably do a podcast where I have my wife Danielle um, do some stuff with me and she can join me and we can talk about the current landscape of uh, our little niche of, of uh, music and our little sphere of, of following. But that'll be fun. We'll, we will do that soon. As well, today I just want to jump right in and begin to talk about where we're at in America today and what God is doing, you know, uh, many of us were heartbroken, grieved, horrified, um, and, and, and just uh, sickened by another mass shooting in America, of course, this time in the church. And I tell you, when I heard of the shootings in San Antonio, my, my heart was grieved for a few days. It felt like a, a heavy weight had been tied around my heart, and I was aching, I was mourning, um, I was low. Uh, and I feel like I was just feeling the heart of the Lord. My heart was breaking. And every time there's a shooting, you know, there's many, many awful things that happen every day. The news will be sure to tell you about that. Um, but there's, there's many incredible things happening in, in the world. We know that um, 
you know, where there is sin, where there's darkness, grace and light abounds all the more. So uh, that is my theology. You know, that is the underlying foundation of what I believe. However, I do believe that while God uh, is uh, a joyful God, he also weeps uh, and mourns with those who are mourning and those who are hurting. And we surely um, are, are hurting with with those people. And I'll tell you, I want to just segue from that into what I want to talk to you about today. I'm going to be reading out of 1 Samuel chapter 19. I believe there's hope for us. And I believe we're, we're seeing the symptoms of a sick culture, a culture that does not have God, does not have hope, does not have uh, the hope of Jesus, that, that does not have the hope of, of life and love found in Jesus Christ. I, I feel like we're seeing the symptoms of a deeper root issue of a culture that um, has largely pushed God away. But what, what I want to dig into is... I want to talk about how I believe that our worship actually changes atmosphere and not only people. I believe that our worship can actually change the geographical atmosphere, and I believe the Bible teaches us that plainly and clearly. And so I want to talk about that. I also want to just throw a little word out of caution uh, for something I'm seeing a lot of right now. And if you hear some pages flipping, that's just my my Bible here. I'm gonna gonna read something to you, but I, I want to uh, speak to something because one of the things I'm hearing a lot of right now is um, a lot of conspiracy theory, and uh, you know we all see it on our social media. You know we see um, we, we we see all these things, uh, you know about conspiracies and you know there's there's someone out to get us and there's there's it's we're not being told the truth and I'm not going to go super deep into that um, that maybe can be done another time but I I want to speak about um, just really really briefly there's a scripture um, in Isaiah that the Lord had given me a while back uh, maybe a few years ago and you know We've all heard, you know, the conspiracy theories, and I just want to read from the word real quick before we get started here to just set you up uh, and, and just maybe write this one down, because this is what I tell people who are so into conspiracy theories and, you know, uh, nothing's as it seems. Listen, the ultimate fruit of that thought pattern is, is fear. It's fear. It's the fear of the unknown, and I, I want to tell you that even darkness is as light to the Lord. And let me read uh, Isaiah 8, verse 12. This is an awesome scripture. This is the Lord speaking to his people. He says in Isaiah 8, verse 12, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be afraid or in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him alone shall you fear. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. I always think of this scripture of the Lord warning us against uh, delving too deep into conspiracy. Let me tell you guys something. Here's the bottom line. There are many things we don't know, but instead of wondering what lies 
in, in the darkness and what's being hidden from us out of fear that there is something out there that we don't know that is trying to hide something from us to ultimately deceive or destroy us. What if we turned our hearts into the mystery of God as the scripture here uh, encourages us to do? And what about we look into the depth and the riches and the mystery of Christ Jesus? What if we feared the Lord and we looked into the depth of, of who He is, the Creator God, and we, we looked into the mysteries that He is hiding for us? I love even later on in, in the book of Isaiah, He says, I've hidden for you. In Isaiah 45, I'll give you the treasures of darkness, the, the secret riches of hidden places. That's the kind of stuff I want to believe that there's a conspiracy that God is working out, that he has so much goodness for us and he's waiting for us to search out just how good he is. That's the only conspiracy theory I like to subscribe to. I don't go deep into the other fear crap that you hear um, from, from a lot of people. Be weary of that stuff. Be weary of that stuff. Follow Jesus. So I want to jump in from that uh, and, and just say that I believe there are days coming, and we're, we're seeing it, and surely this is not a new thing uh, totally, but I believe what we have maybe heard in stories, um, or maybe we even read in the Bible like we're about to do, uh, about the power of the presence of God, the power of worship, um, I believe we're going to start seeing these things on a national, international corporate scale where worship actually begins to disarm the enemy. And I, I would say that, um, listen, the devil is the, he's, he's, he, he has been a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. And, and Jesus looked at the religious and said, you, you're sons of the devil. Your father is the devil. He's a liar and a murderer and has been from the beginning. So when we see things happen, it's really clear to know uh, whose work these shootings in America are. It's clear to know who these, where these things are coming from, guys. It's, they're from the father uh, of, of, of murder. And we know that in that same sense that God has given us power. We've been given power over the power of the enemy. In fact, the spirit in us is greater than the spirit of the world. And when we find ourselves going into fear, we have to remind ourselves of this eternal truth. Fear not him who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill and, and throw not only the body into hell, but the body and the soul. And that's the father. Listen, Jesus said those words. Those are the words of Jesus. Fear not he who can take your life only, but fear him who can take the body and the soul. And that is, that's the father God. He's the one we should fear. We should not be fearing anything else. And we place our trust in him. And he gives us answers in the scriptures. And I believe that what we're going to begin seeing is in response to calamity, destruction, to threat of evil, threat of murder, uh, where everything, nothing feels sacred. Nothing feels off limits. Movie theaters, concerts churches, uh, public places. It just seems like no place is sacred. Is, is, 
and I, I feel it's a cheap ploy of what actually it's a cheap imitation or counterfeit of what God is trying to say. And what God is saying is no place is safe from his presence or his love. And in the same way, it feels like nothing is sacred, like evil could befall us at every turn, at any place, at any time. God is coming and saying, my presence is coming in this hour of history in such a way that is like never, uh, like something that's never before been seen. I tell you, I, I believe that no place is safe from the presence and the life and the love of God, the love of God, not just love with a motive. I'm talking about the kind of love that gives without promise of a return. That's the love of God. The love of God has 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 little agenda to love you uh, only if you love him back. No, no, no. The father gave his son knowing that every person would have full right and the full free will to choose to not accept, receive, or follow that love. And he still gives. This is the love I believe is being released. This is the type of uh, uh, glorious presence and the manifest nearness where people encounter God. Uh, I believe this is being loosed in, in, in every sphere of society. And so I want to go to 1 Samuel 19 and discuss this a little bit. And it's a bit of a long scripture. I'm going to read it. And then after I read it, I'm going to just paraphrase a little bit for you. And here's what it says. This is, by the way, when David is running from Saul, David goes to the prophet Samuel. And Samuel lived in a place called Ramah. So I'm going to paraphrase, but just stick with me because I'm telling you, this is a powerful right now word for, I believe, churches, ministries, homes, families. I believe this is a key for us to see transformation happen in America in these days. And it's connected to worship. Here's why. Now, David fled and escaped. This is verse 18, 1 Samuel 19, verse 18. David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah. And he told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. Okay, so you see David's, you know, gleaning from the prophet Samuel. And it was told Saul, behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. So then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Saku, and he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they're at Naoth and Ramah. So he went there, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. Now listen, it says of Saul, he stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? Listen, I, I want you to understand what is happening in this scripture. Think about this. David is running for his life from a jealous King Saul. King Saul wants to take his life, okay? And he sends messengers. Now, the word messengers, these are not nice, pretty little messengers, you know, with a letter in their hand. They're going to take David at any cost, either kill him and bring him back or bring him back and kill him. 
it could be translated better. You know, the, the, the mercenaries of Saul were sent after David. They were sent to take his life. Guys, these were not conference goers. These messengers, mercenaries of King Saul going to take David were not going to the, the next Bethel conference. They were not going to Winter Jam. They're not going to get a prophetic word. They're not going to hear cool Christian top 40 music. They're going to take King David and kill him. They had a mission from the king. And when you get a mission from the king, you want to succeed in that mission, right? Yes. So you get the picture. But something happens, and we see here in the Word of God the power of prophetic worship put on display. Think of this. The power of prophetic worship put on display. What happens? These messengers come to take David at Naoth in Ramah. So that would be like saying, you know, in um, in in Georgetown, which is in Washington, D.C., right? Uh, or a, a burb or a, a little section of a bigger place. So they go to this place. And when they go, they see Samuel standing over the other prophets. It was a school of prophets, and he's teaching them to prophesy. But we know earlier that actually there were prophetic musicians being sent out to sing and to play. If you read in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, you know that there are prophet musicians, and I've spoke on that before in, in um, uh, episode 1 of the Sound Podcast. Now, remember, he's presiding over them, and that word there speaks to Samuel being like a composer, standing uh, and, and, and teaching them to sing prophetic songs, to play, to prophesy. And as he's doing this, here's the beautiful part. These messengers come, they see it, but they get caught up in the sound. They get caught up in the atmosphere. Whatever these guys were doing was so powerful that it swept them up in to, to the, the, the prophetic thing they were doing. So they were singing the word of God, playing. They were prophesying. They were declaring what God was saying. And these messengers who had a mission to take David actually forget about their mission to kill David and begin to prophesy with the others. They're apprehended. Think about this. Where there's a resting place of God's presence, people are arrested to, to the will of God. They're, they're changed. Uh, they're, they're, they're caught up into something else. And so Saul says, I'll send another group. So Saul sends another group. And when he sends that other group, they too prophesied. And then a third time, you imagine, you know, your King Saul, you're going, we're going to send our most powerful strong guys to get the job done. These other two groups completely failed. I'm getting my best guys. Go get go get David and kill him. I don't want any more mess-ups. Do the job, and that's it. Now, think about this. The third group goes, and they too, they too end up getting apprehended by the presence of God in that prophetic atmosphere. They saw the prophets prophesying, playing their music. It would be like them walking into a worship service, going to kill everyone there, and then being apprehended by God. Think of it. Now, now think of the power. I'm telling you, this is something we are going to see. This is a promise for us. 
Now, um, I'll, I'll continue and I'll, I'll go into that a little more, but look what happens. Saul says, I'm going to go myself. And the Bible says that Saul gets to the well that is in Siku. Now, now I want you to know that's speaking of a geographical place outside of Naoth and Ramah. So it's not in the town where David and the prophets were prophesying with Samuel, that, that it was outside, but their, their songs, their, their prophetic sound, their worship, their declarations had actually created this geographical sphere where by the time Saul gets to Saku, miles away, he already begins to be apprehended because it says as soon as he gets to the well, he starts prophesying as he before he even gets to Naoth and Ramah. He was so apprehended, he got into the sphere, the bubble of, of this, this atmosphere that Samuel and the prophets had created, and he began to prophesy all the way there. So by the time Saul gets there, it says he rips his clothes off, casts down his crown, and prophesies naked all day and all night before Samuel. Listen, the kind of presence of God I'm talking about that is coming through worship in these days it's going to apprehend people. It's going to make killers be turned into prophets. It's going to make kings be turned into fools before the presence of God. And just in the same way that, that, that uh, you know, Saul laid day and night before the presence of God, it was this picture of heaven where the, the, the elders cast down their crowns and night and day they worship. It was such an apprehending presence. It was, a, it was an arresting type of presence of God. And I believe there is a prophetic worship that we are singing in a, in a small way right now that is going to become normal. If you just want to reference the most recent shootings, and I do not want to give glory to the enemy by going into depth too much in this, but a man walked into a church and began shooting. Now, uh, you know, we, we need to remember that Jesus said that you know, if you believe in me, though you die, you'll, you, you won't die. You'll, you'll live forever. Though you, someone may take your life, you will live forever. So, uh, you know, we know that there is a, a promise of eternal hope. And, 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 and we know that persecution in the kingdom, persecution against the church, historically usually means that the church grows from that. But what the devil has meant for evil, I believe God is going to turn to good. Here's what I'm praying right now. I'm praying that from this tragedy, that the lives lost would not be lost in vain, but that there would be a seed go into the ground and that something would happen where in, in worship, places of worship all over the country, places of worship all over the world would begin to sing the song of the Lord and that the prophetic unction and power of, of, of the Lord would be so strong that when killers walk into a place, they are apprehended by the power of the presence of God in those places. I'm believing that there is going to be a song rise up out of the church. I'm talking about a corporate song that lasts over a season of time that actually quenches this murderous spirit that actually uh, dispels and disarms this murderous spirit in America right now. And I believe when the song of the Lord comes forth, 
it will turn men in, into totally different people. It will apprehend them. It will change them. This is not saying that we won't have persecution. We won't have tragedy. What I'm saying is that I believe it is a time for the church to realize that their worship, their songs, their the hearing from God and singing those spirit songs can actually change the atmosphere over your entire city, could actually change the atmosphere over your entire town, that it could apprehend people, that it could actually, um, it could actually stop tragedy before it starts. I believe this is a promise from, from the word. And in fact, it is. And I, I want to say, you know, um, just talking about songwriting and talking about writing songs. Listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm urging artists and creatives and songwriters and musicians to begin taking the time to sit with the Lord in a secret place and begin to craft your own songs, your sound to the Lord. You know, oftentimes songwriting can be really tough, but I find the the best thing that to do is get in the presence of God, be with Him, and write. And if you can't write anything and you can't uh, create, then you sing to him a simple song, and while you sing songs to him, he'll write songs inside of you. And those are the songs we need. When I say prophetic song, I'm simply saying the songs that are given by the Spirit of God, the God-to-man songs. You know, we sing man-to-man songs, uh, man-to-God songs, and then God-to-man. These are psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I believe what Samuel and the prophets were singing the, the, in those days were spirit songs. They were given by the unction of the Spirit. And because of that, the power of heaven was loosed in those places to, to bring about change and to, to bring safety to a region. Now think about this. King David sees this before he's king. He's witnessing the power of this prophetic worship, this, this type of worship that leans into the Spirit of God, that the dependent worship. Remember, uh, praise is perfected in nursing infants. A nursing infant is, is a dependent. There is a dependent type of praise going on that released this sort of uh, perfect or mature worship by the Spirit of God that brought about change. David sees this and says, you know what? I'm going to bring this to an entire nation. And what I've seen happen in this town of Naoth in Ramah, I'm actually going to bring it to a corporate national scale, and I'm going to fund worship day and night, night and day for, for 33 years. And he did. He pinched this, uh, pitched this tent, uh, David's tent. It was David's tabernacle. And he put the Ark of the Covenant inside, and he... He had worship going 24-7, and they would prophesy and sing to the Lord, and David would write songs from his heart, and they would sing these songs to the Lord. And in that place of authentic worship, the presence of God rested on Israel. And even to this day, Israel has not seen a more blessed time than in those days. A more blessed time than in those days. They were protected from their enemies. Solomon, it's it's said, amassed... Uh, between one and two trillion dollars was his total net worth, many scholars say. Um, I've heard 1.2 trillion um, was, was actually a number of the wealth of, of Solomon's kingdom if you were looking at it in today's currency. And David spent about two billion dollars of what would be today's currency to fund 
worship night and day in the tabernacle of David. Now, if, if it can do that in a small town, David's thinking, what if I did this over a nation? What if all of our enemies were pushed back because the presence of God was our first priority? And it was, and it happened just that way. If you look at a map in the back of your Bible, and you look in the time of the reign of David or Solomon, you will find, you will find that if you look at Israel, it is its largest landmass in the days of Samuel, and, or I'm sorry, the days of David and Saul, than it is a few generations after or before. Something about the presence of God pushed their enemies back. You look at like, if you look at a map before and after the time of David and Solomon, you'll see that like the, 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 all of these other, um, uh, all of these other nations, these enemy nations, uh, they were, they were pushed back and you can look in your, in your, in your maps and see that they were, they were, they were, uh, they were smaller during the time of David and Solomon. But when you see that the presence of God wasn't resting in the nation and worship was not a priority, do you want to know what happens? You see the Philistines, uh, whole nation grows and expands back into the kingdom of Israel. You see all these other, uh, the, the Amorites, all these nations are, are then growing when the presence of God isn't near. Would it not be true for us that if worship were a priority in America, in the church, the light bearers of the world, the salt of the earth, the ones who are ambassadors, the pilgrims from heaven, if we were to make worship a priority and thus the presence of God, could we not conclude that our enemies would be pushed back, that our nation would be blessed? It's the presence, the nearness, the, the honoring of our first love that makes room for God in a nation, in a town, in a city, in a place. There is biblical truth and principle for the literal like geographic area uh, or an area to be covered in, and saturated in the prophetic, uh, in, the, in the power of God, the presence of God. I encourage you, we need to sing. We need to sing like never before. We need to write songs like never before. And we don't just need pretty worship songs. I want to end with this. The Lord spoke to me um, about uh, four nights ago. I woke up. I've been waking up early the last few weeks. The Lord's just been waking me up at 4.30 in the morning. I've been praying. And the Lord woke me up with his word. And the word of the Lord uh, came to me. And it, it was just really simply this, that, David wasn't writing songs. King David was not writing songs uh, as theology pieces. David wasn't attempting to write theology when writing the Psalms. He was writing from love and the encounters he had had with God through the lens of his own artistic expression. You know, our obsession to be theologically perfect has caused our music oftentimes to sound stale, uninteresting, predictable. And ultimately, without the power of change inherent in the, in the music uh, or, or abiding in the songs that we're writing that you find in true art and creativity, there's, there's true art and creativity brings us uh, this, this power to change. It brings this power to change things. And I believe 
that if we continue to try to write songs that sound like everything else, that are a copy and a shadow of, of, of everything else that we're hearing, we're, we're, we're not going to tap into the power of authenticity. David's art became theology. Think about this. David's art became theology. David's encounter with God became theology, not the other way around. And uh, I think we need a place with God where we're authentic and we're writing from a place of true love and encounter with, with Jesus, our own relationship to have the power in our songs, the prophetic edge in our songs to bring about change. So I encourage you, go to that place, be in that place. Stay in that place. Stay creative. Keep writing. Keep doing it. Keep exploring. Keep uh, pressing into the Lord. Ask the Lord. Make this your prayer in these days. God, I want to have a sound on my life. I'm not talking about just music either at this point. I'm saying, God, I want a sound of on my life that actually causes killers to be turned into prophets, that, that reaches in to the, the, the things the enemy meant for evil and turns them into good. I want to have such a power, an apprehending presence on my life that, that the presence of God is seen, it's felt, it's heard, it's experienced because of my life. I pray that over you guys. I thank you and I can't wait to be with you on the next podcast. We're going to be hitting some interesting stuff. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast. It'll, it'll you know, help you keep up with us, us uh, keep up with you. Make sure to, to check out BurnsMinistries.com uh, for our traveling and touring schedule, uh, as well the SoundMovement.net um, for the things we are doing with the sound in the coming months and in the coming year. Love you guys. Bless you. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you would like to connect with the sound movement, please visit thesoundmovement.net or look us up on your favorite social media platform.